Good morning. Happy Sabbath. Before jumping into today's teaching, I want to welcome guests. I know TJ, you've already done that, but I'm just going to personally welcome if this is your first time at the Brunswick Church or your first time in a little while. We're glad to have you. Glad to have you if you're showing up and uh, joining us virtually. I can't see you, but you're here with us and I appreciate that. And then secondly, last week, one of the things we did to, um, for our outreach Sabbath is potted flowers. This letter card was dropped off at the church from one of our neighbors in Apple Tree. Dear next door neighbors and friends at Brunswick Adventist Church, many thanks for the lovely purple pansies you brought to our door on Saturday. What a pleasant surprise! We'll enjoy them and think of all of you each day. Love, Brenda and Al, number six, Apple Tree. Oh, the flowers did not go unnoticed. By the way, I noticed in the um, bulletin that we do not have communion listed, but please know that's next week we'll be doing communion. Then one more thing this morning, I'd like Jackie to come up and... um, Over the last few months, Jackie comes to me about every three weeks and says, do you have any more Bible studies? Because I have someone else that I'm going to study the Bible with. I just got a text yesterday for two more lessons. We, she literally used all the lessons we had. And so I had requested more and they just got here this week. And so, but I do have them. So after church, you can get some more lessons. So let's Get the mic here. So Jackie, just introduce real quick who you are for those who may not know and then tell us how you got started and what you do. Um, My name is Jacqueline Morales. I moved here to the United States almost 22 years ago. And um, I'm living here since last summer. I'm working at Pine Tree Academy as assistant dean. Yeah, thank you. So how did you get started doing the Bible studies? Maybe tell us just a little bit about that. When I was a child, I saw my parents do Bible studies Sabbath afternoon, but I never knew what it mean. I know it was important. Then when I grew up, somebody invited me to a minister in the jail. I was there for a little bit, but I was mom, so I... I didn't, I'd stop with that. And a friend, when I was living in Houston, she was from Colombia. She invited me to do Bible study, and, and I enjoyed that. That's awesome. And when I moved here, I say, what, what should I do here? And I usually work at the church in different departments, but here I feel like I need to do something and then I offer Bible studies to several people, and they say yes. So now, last night, we have a Bible study in, a, in our place. My family participate with me, and we have five people uh, in the God. Bible study. That's Only awesome. youth people. So Vivian was helping a lot, and Brian, too. That's awesome. So how many years of training did you get before being able to give Bible studies? Really? I don't have any training, zero training. Only I saw people doing that eventually, but 
I guess the Holy Spirit is working through us. Especially my language is not good, but God is there. That was the right answer. And I just wanted to hold that out to you because sometimes we, we think that, well, I got to go, you know, pastor to teach me or I need to go to some school. Now, education helps, but the truth is the best way to learn is doing it, right? Yes. My parents sent me always to Seventh-day Adventist school. I grew up as okay. Seventh-day Adventist. But when you feel that God is called you, you know that the Holy Spirit will work through you. That's right. Amen. Thank you. So... If you have a friend that's interested in Bible studies, just go ahead and ask them. We have lessons here. You can literally read the lesson sentence by sentence, fill in the blanks. That's perfectly fine. And um, starting is the best way to learn how to do it. And Jackie can certainly give you pointers from what she's learned. I'm happy to give you pointers. But really, truly, the best way is just to start. There's, there's no reason you need to wait. Uh, sometimes you, you see some people, they don't look like they are interesting, mm. but you, you only invite them to study the Bible. I never told them, okay, I'm Seventh-day Adventist, like, do you want to hear about that? No. They don't want to hear about your religion. <laughs> but when you talk to them about study the Bible, mm. then they are really, really receptive. Right. Yeah. yeah, we let the Holy Spirit take care of where that goes. Yeah. Yeah, very good. Yes, and we can say it like Isaiah 6, a say, here I am, Lord, send That's me. That's right. Amen. Let me pray for you, Jackie, in those Bible studies. God, thank you for Jackie and the Bible studies that are going on right now. Please just guide those individuals who are seeking you and seeking to be closer to you and processing questions of faith. May their faith grow. Give Jackie and uh, Vivian and Brian and the others who are sharing in this journey. Give them wisdom. May their faith glow brightly and their love shine with that, that those who are studying may just be attracted to Jesus. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Jackie. Thank Your you. English was great, by the way. So a little encouragement. Don't be shy. You can give a Bible study. Yes, you can. So take the risk. It's okay. Now, one more piece that I want to promote this morning. We are, I'm going to try something called, um, well, this one's called uh, Arise Brunswick Intensive. And intensive because next week from, one, uh, from 12.30 p.m. to 7 p.m., we're going to watch and discuss three or four of the Arise videos. And I'm looking at doing this like four times a year. Well, we'll have an intensive. Whoever wants to dedicate an afternoon, and we're going to get together and process theology together. It'll be deeper than what we do on Sabbath morning and give us a chance to dialogue and wrestle with um, stuff. So we're going to use the Arise material this time. It may evolve over time, but that's what we're going to do next weekend. It's the best weekend before summer, so it's a little last minute. But if you're interested, there's an email that went out, or you can call me. Or if you forget to do any of those things and just show up, you are welcome to do that. So there will be a, a lunch next week. RSVP will help, so I can kind of coordinate preparation for that. Lunch, 12.30 or right after service. And then we're going to jump right into it, take a couple breaks in the afternoon, and then end with uh, some meal together at the end. So next weekend, communion in the morning, 
and then arise intensive in the afternoon. Again, just to sharpen each other as we grow in faith together. And now to today's topic. God, just want to pause again saying, please be our teacher. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Perhaps a strange title for a church of all places to talk about not praying. Seems like the church isn't one of those. Well, you'll understand the title by the time I get to the end. And you'll also, I hope, find that your understanding of prayer is more robust and um, this is one uh, in, in kind of, it's, it's a semi-regular series called Dig Deep, where I'm going to take different topics and challenge us to go deeper. Some things will be a little bit more complex and challenging, and uh, so this is one of those. And today I really want to challenge you to think about the question of prayer, and I have two questions for you. It looks like they didn't make it into this slide reel. Um, and those two questions are this, number one. Is it always good when life goes well? I just want you to think about that. Is it always good when life goes well? Now, how many of us tend to assume that life is best when it goes well? Right? We, any of you don't want your life to go well? That was not a trick question. It's, uh, I, I'm with you. I want my life to go well. Second question that I want you to think about. This one really starts getting to today's teaching. Is it good, is it always good when prayer is answered? Is it always good when prayer is answered? Now be very careful. That's not a trick question. But it may be more complex then we often appreciate. And that's the point of today's teaching. Hezekiah and the case against praying. We're going to begin with the story of Hezekiah. By the way, just so you know, this story, these two stories really in the life of Hezekiah are found first in 2 Kings around 17 through 20. I think technically chapter 18 through 20. Two stories we're going to look at in Hezekiah's life. And the second place they're found is 2 Chronicles chapter 32. And 2 Chronicles 32 is the least detailed of the three locations in Scripture the story is found. 2 Kings is the most detailed. 2 Chronicles is the least detailed. And then the third place you can find the story is in Isaiah who worked closely with Hezekiah, Isaiah chapters about 37, 36, 37 through 38 tells, recounts the story. Isaiah has some unique details and 2 Kings has some unique details. So both of those accounts are worth reading. 2 Chronicles is a very condensed summary of, of the information. So if you read both Isaiah and 2 Kings, you'll find that you get information that is not contained in both books. We're going to start with the first story. These are both miraculous stories. 
The second story is the one that's going to really challenge our thinking, but we've got to start with the first one before we get to the second one. And we're actually going to look at the brief narrative, the second king's version, which contains the basic details. Sennacherib's servants spoke against the Lord God and against his servant Hezekiah. He also wrote letters to revile the Lord God of Israel. Now, because of this, King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, prayed and cried out to heaven. The book of Isaiah and the book of 2 Chronicles tell us that when Hezekiah received one of these taunting letters from Sennacherib, who's leading the Assyrian army in its siege against Jerusalem, that Hezekiah went into the temple very troubled. So he goes to the temple and he lays out the letter of threat in God's presence. And he says, God, and then, and then uh, I believe Second Chronicles and Isaiah both record Hezekiah's earnest prayer for God's intervention. And so then you can see Second Chronicles continues that God does intervene. Then the Lord sent an angel who cut down every mighty man of valor and captain in the camp of the king of Assyria. Does anyone know how many armed warriors died in this single angel action? 185,000. Yes, massive miracle. So trouble comes Israel surrounded, or Jerusalem, I should say, is surrounded. Hezekiah, and incidentally, as we hear in Second Chronicles, Isaiah, both of them intercede. Hezekiah specifically taking the letter and talking to God about it in the temple, and then this miraculous intervention. And here's what happened. So he, Sennacherib, returned shamefaced to his own land. And when he had gone into the temple of his God, some of his own offspring, specifically two sons that are named in Isaiah and I think in Second Chronicles, struck him down. They left town and another of his sons took Sennacherib's place. Thus the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, and from the hand of all others, and guided them on every side. And many brought gifts to the Lord at Jerusalem and presents to Hezekiah, king of Judah, so that he was exalted in the sight of all nations thereafter. Pretty good story, right? One of those stories that you might tell your kids at bedtime when they're growing up. Hezekiah was there. They were terrified of the people. And God delivered them, right? Well, the next story, the very next story, begins like this. In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near Death. And I'm taking from the second king's account the most detailed of the three on this part of the story. Remember, Hezekiah is coming off fairly recently a massive miracle of deliverance. And now prophet Isaiah comes to him and says this, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. 
Anyone here would be happy to have that conversation with prophet Isaiah. Be quite awkward, wouldn't it? Well, Hezekiah reacted the same way, maybe more dramatically than you would react. Notice this. Then he turned his face toward the wall. And I'm guessing it says this because he turned his back on the prophet. Not necessarily rejecting Isaiah, but he just turns toward the wall and he begins to pray. Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what was good in your sight. And Hezekiah, what did he do? Wept how? Bitterly. This is the king. Did he have his head in his hands? We don't know, but this is a king sobbing, desperate for a reversal of his circumstances. You will find in the book of Isaiah that Hezekiah wrote sometime within that very short time frame of this experience, a kind of, I don't know if it was a journal entry, but it's, it's in poetic form recounting his experience. It's uh, probably 10 verses or so. Kind of interesting, something we're not going to look at this morning, but you'll find it interesting to look at it where Hezekiah recounts his response and his prayer and, and um, he helps us see inside his heart. Let's continue. And it happened. Before Isaiah had gone out into the middle court that the word of the Lord came to him saying, return and tell the Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father. I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Surely I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord. And I will add to your days. What does it say on the screen there? How many years? Keep that number in mind. It's going to be very important in a few moments. I will deliver you and this city from the, land of the, from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. Then Isaiah said, take a lump of figs. So they took and laid it on the boil, and he recovered. And Hezekiah said to Isaiah, what? Is the sign that the Lord will heal me and that I shall go up to the house of the Lord the third day? Does anybody know, before we read the text, what the sign was? What were the options that Hezekiah could choose from? Yeah, the sun goes forward or backward. And what did Hezekiah say? Anybody remember what Hezekiah said? Yeah, it's not a big deal if the sun goes backward. I'm sorry, forward, because that's what it does every day. So make the sun go backward, and here it is. So Isaiah, the prophet, cried out to the Lord, and he brought the shadow 10 degrees backward by which it had gone down on the sundial of Ahaz. Now, get your context. We recently, Hezekiah and us in the story, recently came off a miraculous moment when 185,000 Assyrian soldiers and their generals were killed. Sennacherib, going back to Nineveh, is 
assassinated. So the threat of the Assyrians is completely eliminated. And then we have now found ourselves with Hezekiah, who's been told by Isaiah the prophet, you're going to die, get things in order so you're ready for death. Hezekiah turns to the wall and in this desperate prayer requests healing. God does a miracle, another miracle, and heals Hezekiah. The sun goes back on the sundial. Was that a good answer? One of the things I want you to process this morning with me is the complexity of human God interactions. Let me ask you another question. What happens to Hezekiah if God doesn't answer his prayer? He dies. What happens to Hezekiah's faith? We don't technically know the answer to that question. But is it valid to consider the complexity of the interaction that God and Hezekiah are having? Hezekiah has come off a recent profound miracle. And now if God doesn't show up again, how strong is Hezekiah's faith to handle an unanswered prayer? Does God's action to heal in response to prayer or not heal, is Hezekiah's own faith in God on the rocks? Do you, do you see what's potentially happening here in the human dynamic of God and humans interacting as we interact with God, there's a lot at stake. And as God is responding to prayer, he's taking this complex nature of reality into account. And I want you to be thinking about this because as we come to the end of today's teaching, we need to be thinking in more complex terms about prayer, our relationship to prayer, our relationship to answers and expectations. At that time, 2 Kings 2, 12, Baradak Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that Hezekiah had been sick. Words traveled all the way back to Babylon. We don't maybe it was the Babylonian embassy in Jerusalem. I don't know if they had such things, but word gets back to Babylon, and emissaries are sent with a letter of commendation or congratulations or whatever was in the letter regarding this miraculous healing of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was attentive to them and showed them what? All the treasures of his house. In fact, in verse 13, it tells us there was how much? Nothing that he did not show them. In fact, in all of his dominion. It wasn't just Jerusalem. Hezekiah went on and on and on about all the great things and all the great resources under his dominion. Now, prophet Isaiah came to, to um, Hezekiah after this encounter, and he said, Hezekiah, he said, there were some guys from Babylon that came here, right? What did you talk to them about? And Hezekiah told them, I showed them all the great stuff. 
Does anybody know what Isaiah answered or what God through Isaiah answered Hezekiah? Those Babylonians, I'm summarizing, that have seen all your wealth, they're coming back to get it. So now let me ask you a question. Was it good that God answered Hezekiah's prayer? Now are you starting to see the complexity that the story of Hezekiah brings to us? Through Hezekiah's narrow perception of the future, he was persuaded that his living was best for himself, and I'm guessing he assumed that he was needed as king in Jerusalem too. Now, if we're honest, the prayer of Hezekiah in the temple about God delivering Israel or Jerusalem and Judah is a bit less self-oriented than his prayer over his illness. We, we can't acknowledge that because when you look at the stories, it is true. Hezekiah is definitely seeking the deliverance of God's people and the clearing of God's name because God's being accused by Sennacherib in the first story of being impotent like all the other gods and Sennacherib said, said listen so and so I just went in and wiped him out I wiped out so and so they had this God I wiped out nobody can stand against me no God can stand against me and your God is just the same so Hezekiah's prayer is quite different it's a prayer for deliverance and the vindication of God's name you don't find that showing up in Hezekiah's prayer about his illness that's something worth noting so I'm asking again, was it good that Hezekiah's prayer was answered? You don't necessarily have to answer yes or no, but we need to think about that this morning. Is every answer to prayer a good thing? Is the thing I'm praying for a good thing? Is that a fair question to ask? And how about this? If my prayers are answered, is there a responsibility for how I deal with the answer? Now, can you imagine how this would have gone different? Hezekiah's prayer is answered, and Hezekiah is prepared for the answer in the sense that when the Babylonian emissaries come, he says, listen, guys, you won't believe it. This God that I worship, he hears prayer, and then if Hezekiah, he took him to the temple, he said, listen, here's what we do. We have a feast so many times a year. We do these sacrifices because of such and such. And let me introduce you to our priests, and they're going to explain, do you think things would have been different if Hezekiah had taken the advantage of the opportunity to introduce God to the Babylonians? Is there the potential that maybe it could have influenced things back in Babylon? These are hypotheticals, but I want you to be thinking again more deeply about prayer that when God answers two things, number one, it's not always a good thing. And the fact that it's not a good thing doesn't mean that God won't answer. Some of the things we pray for, God answers, but it's not necessarily going to work out for our best good. Well, that's kind of a heavy thing to say. What about Balaam? God said, hey, and Balaam said, hey, can I go over with these guys? They've come down. They want me to go, go over and um, curse your people. Can I go? No, you can't go, Balaam. But then Balaam prays again. And what does God say? Go. Was it good for Balaam? 
Do you know that Balaam lost his life ultimately because that prayer was answered? So we have to be aware that providence isn't always providential. We're going to get somewhere hopeful. I know that's kind of heavy. Like, oh, maybe I shouldn't pray anymore. That's not going to be the outcome of today's message. But this being a dig deep, I want you to think a little bit more deeply, weigh some of these things. This is about expanding our understanding of God and human agency. We have power to influence the future, not only the human future, but we have power to influence God with our prayers. He's not at our beck and call like a gumball machine. I don't mean that in any sense. But there's clear teaching in Scripture that God is responsive and interactive to human requests. Think of Moses. Think of Abraham. Things clearly are shifting in the human story and in God's actions because of human interaction. And in some cases, the shifts are not for the benefit of the seeker. All right, one more case in the story. Then we're going to start moving to some positive territory here. But I want you to notice this assessment, 2 Chronicles 32. However, regarding the ambassadors of the prince of Babylon, which we just talked about, whom they sent to him to inquire about the wonder that was done in the land, God withdrew from him in order to test him that he might know all that was in what? So Hezekiah is responding And God is giving Hezekiah the opportunity to act out of his own impulses. Now, Hezekiah did not repay according to the favor shown him. The favor being his miraculous healing. For his heart was what? Was Hezekiah ready for the answer he prayed for? So now we're sort of getting into some territory that can start informing our prayer life. What if some of the prayers, not all of them, this is not a a generic answer all response. Some of our prayers that have not been answered is because we were not ready for the answer. What if unlike in Hezekiah's case, God has left it unanswered and we have not persisted. And so those prayers have been left unanswered. And we're still mourning over them. But what if we should be celebrating because in God's providence, they were not answered? Again, I'm not, this is not a blanket for every prayer. Some prayers are not answered because we don't pray and continue interceding, right? Some aren't. And Good could have come had they been answered, okay? So we're weighing some big stuff today. But I do want to hold that out, that you would view with hope that at least some of your prayers have not been answered because it would not actually have been beneficial. Okay. Then Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. So... Prayer is answered miraculously. Hezekiah doesn't handle that well, but then when he recognizes it, he, he, he makes things right. And what happens? God responds. 
Okay, so don't lose heart. This is not about losing heart. We mess things up, and then God keeps working the best that we give him the opportunity to keep arranging and working out the best possible next scenario. Amen? Now, one more piece, then we're going to start turning the corner. So Hezekiah rested with his father, 2 Kings 20. Then who? Who? Manasseh, his son, reigned in his place. How old was Manasseh when he took the throne? Twelve years old. Manasseh was twelve years old when he became the king and he reigned how long? Fifty-five years in Jerusalem, but he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, there's something you need to know about the evil Manasseh did. God's kingdom, Judah, never recovered from the evil reign of Manasseh. I want you to take that in now. How old was he? How many years after Hezekiah's healing was Manasseh born? Three years after. So let me ask you again. Was it good that God answered Hezekiah's prayer. The answer to Hezekiah's prayer, because of how things went down, was the downfall of the people of God. That answer, miraculous answer, was the beginning or was the final beginning of the end for the people of God. Now, you're not jumping up and down because this this is kind of heavy to think about, right? So what do we do with that? I think the first question, the first thing we need to do is, as human beings, we need to become more okay with our mortality. Our tenuity, a new word. It means, it's, it's, it's a different use of the word tenuous. Tenuous is fragile or thin. Hezekiah wasn't willing to face his mortality with trust. Some of the things we pray and are determined to get are because we're not ready to hold our mortality, our tenuity, our vulnerability with humility. If Hezekiah had been ready to say, okay, the prophet says I'm going to die, what Hezekiah should have done was shifted into death preparation, called into the court, made arrangements for what son takes the throne upon his death, settle accounts, make whatever decrees. That's what he should have done because Hezekiah was unprepared for the miraculous answer. Did he know that? No. So number one lesson. You and I need to learn to hold our fragility, our frailty, our mortality gently. That sometimes the best outcome isn't our best outcome. Is that a tough thing to do? Do any of us want to die? Do we want to deal with cancer? 
Do we want cars to break down and devastating accidents to annihilate families? But what if our earnest prayer works out like Hezekiah's prayer? What if because we can't see around the next bend, the thing we think is good turns out to be disastrous? So first thing, hold your mortality, your ability to see into the future with a gentle hand. Because Jesus even said, don't be telling somebody I'll see you in a few days because you don't even know what tomorrow holds. Instead, say, if the Lord wills, I'm going to do this or do that. Why? Because Jesus was teaching us to hold our mortality consciously and gently. But there's more. We're going to jump to another story. This is the Paul story. The first thing I want you to notice is that Paul had many unanswered prayers. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Do you think the church was praying for Paul not to get the beatings? Do you think Paul and his, and his, fellow, serve, and his fellow missionaries were praying for protection? Did all of those prayers get answered? Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep in journeys often in perils of waters and perils of robbers in perils of my own countrymen in perils of the Gentiles in perils in the city in perils in the wilderness in perils in the sea in perils among false brethren. Did some of the prayers get answered? Did some of the prayers get answered? Come on. I know I just said be careful about praying, but this clearly indicates what? Did some of the prayers get answered? Yes, because he says this happened often, but the word peril means they were in danger but didn't necessarily succumb to danger. Did he get beaten sometimes? Yes. Did he get beaten every time? No. Were there times he was at sea and almost shipwrecked, but didn't? Yes. Okay, so this is not a tirade that says don't pray. Even though the sermon sort of looked like that's where it was going, this is about how to hold prayer. Paul is praying often. The church is praying often. Sometimes the prayers are answered. Sometimes they're not. In, weakness, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst. Do you think they prayed? Jesus said, pray for your daily bread, right? Well, he did. And there were days he went to bed with a growling stomach. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. We're going to continue the Paul story because in chapter 12, we get some more insight that helps us hold this prayer thing with a little bit more hope. 
And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. Here's a, a nice merge point for the story of Hezekiah and the story of Paul. Hezekiah had seen astounding miracles. An angel destroying 185,000 soldiers in one night without any help from the Judean forces. Astounding miracle. Paul has witnessed the astounding providence of God in his ministry, in his, uh, what does it say here? In the abundance of revelations. I mean, this guy learned the story of Jesus and the theology of the gospel through Holy Spirit teaching, he tells in his story. He didn't go to the gospel school in Antioch. He was out in some non-Jewish territory, hanging out with God for some 14, 12 or 14 years, where God was teaching him. In Hezekiah's case, the providence of the sun moving back didn't turn out. He didn't handle that answer very well, did he? Hezekiah. Paul was at risk for mishandling providence too. And so, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. How many of you this morning would vote for the thorn in the flesh? A messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded. What, is, what does he do? He pleads with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. It's interesting that Paul's prayer is a limited prayer. Isn't that interesting? Why was Paul's prayer a limited prayer? Did Paul understand that perhaps his desire might not be the best? Did Paul read the story of Hezekiah and Isaiah and perhaps recognize that his perception of his circumstances and the best outcomes may be misguided? So the second lesson we're going to learn here is, comes up in a, in a verse, to be content. There's a place for Contentment and bold faith. The two need to find a house in our hearts simultaneously. So, he said to me, my grace, read it with me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. There's the secret for courageous prayer. Where's Paul's focus? Where does his focus need to be whether the prayer is answered or not answered? In God. If you and I in our prayers prioritize trusting the good heart of God, that will help us to align more with His purpose and be more gentle with the things we pray for persistently and the things we release contentedly. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may what? Rest on me. 
Verse 10 says this, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs. Or this is verse 9. In distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then what? I am strong. Sometimes the non-providential outcome is the one in which we stand the strongest. So one of the questions in the context of prayer is, do I trust God enough to be good and say no? Do I trust God enough to be good and say no? And here's 10. This is ESV 10, actually, again, from the ESV. For the sake of Christ, then, I am what? Content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Two big lessons from today. Number one, learn to hold our humanity gently. We don't see around the corner. We don't actually, we aren't actually able to calculate the truly best outcomes. So we need to hold that with gentleness. That when we pray for an answer, we don't have the capacity to know whether the answer is good or bad. Number two, be content to trust the good heart of God. God is always for us. God coming to Hezekiah and through Isaiah and saying, Hezekiah, you're going to die. Set your house in order. Was God working for Hezekiah and the kingdom's best outcome? Not from Hezekiah's perspective, but from God's perspective, Hezekiah wisely settling affairs and then dying in peace with his family around him would have been providential. The miraculous answer was Hezekiah's wish, which God granted, but was disastrous because of how Hezekiah managed that response. Let me give you one more piece from the life of Jesus on this question. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it is what? Take, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. What is Jesus acknowledging here? He's exemplifying the human need to hold our desires and our longings gently. And he's demonstrating how we can pray, recognizing that and holding that tension. Is he questioning whether or not his father cares about him? No. He wrestled with whether or not he would survive death on the cross. But in this place, he's not questioning that. Number two, was he questioning his father's capacity to answer? What was he questioning? He was questioning the wisdom or the possibility of good being the outcome of an answer to his prayer. 
In other words, he was holding his prayer, his desires, gently recognizing that the ultimate success might come through pain instead of an answer. And so he models for us this place of holding our humanity gently. But then gives this this word. John 8 When you lift up the Son of Man, speaking of his death, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that are pleasing or that please him. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, prays this prayer of recognizing that his wish may not be the best outcome. But there's another time he prayed. He was standing in front of a tomb, the tomb of a dead friend named Lazarus. And you don't find that kind of um, uncertainty Here's the reason why. Jesus, in pressing close to the Father, was allowing his prayer life to be educated. And that's the final piece, final lesson. Number one, learn to hold our humanity gently. Because maybe the best outcome is the hard one, And maybe that's okay. Will God be with me in the hard outcome? Yeah, Psalms 23. Through the valley of the shadow of death. And then number two. Trust contentedly that God actually does have my best interest at heart. And then number three. Press into Jesus. So that not only can I keep praying, but that my prayers can be increasingly aligned with His purpose. You want to have confident prayers? More confident prayers? Press into Him and you'll start picking up on His heartbeat and be able to pray more in line with His purpose with increasing confidence, just like Jesus prayed. We hope you were blessed by today's message. For more content or to connect with us, visit us online at brunswickadventist.church.